So let's just uh, ask the Lord to open things up for us as we pray. Father, we ask you for your grace to continue to pour down on us now as we come to your word. We ask, Lord, that you open it up to us, that it would stretch us, challenge us, encourage us, and most of all, Lord, that it would align us to the image of your Son. We thank you and we bless you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been sharing with you a lot about the kingdom of heaven over the last month since we started 2023. And it's been really uh, something that the Lord has sort of impacted me with in a deeper way. I mean, the kingdom is not something new. We've heard about the kingdom since probably all of us have come into faith. We heard that there's a kingdom, that Jesus is the king, that he's doing all kinds of amazing things. Well, I've taken us to uh, different aspects of this kingdom, and I shared with you that there are four key characteristics of this kingdom. And these are based on the scripture that Jesus read from the uh, scroll of Isaiah when he went into the synagogue just before he launched into his public ministry, just before he launched out into healing the sick, demonstrating all kinds of power, and speaking about the principles of this kingdom. He, he said that he came, here I'll read it, let's read it together. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me. I mean, these are heavy words. And the Jewish people that were in the synagogue at the time understood their meaning. When he said that I am, have been anointed, he was identifying himself to them as the one who is the anointed one. Because they knew that Isaiah, when he wrote this, he was talking about the anointed one. The anointed one in our language is, is, a, is an English word, the anointed, but in their language, in the Hebrew, it's the word Mashiach, which means Messiah in our English or in the, in the Greek. And he has been anointed. He has been selected and smeared with this oil, smeared as it were, that's what the word means, anointed. It means that he has been smeared with the oil. It comes from the word in Hebrew that the root of it, Messiah, in Arabic and in Hebrew and probably in Farsi, it comes from the word wipe or masih. And that's why we say in Arabic, we say masih. The one who has been wiped. Wiped with this oil. Covered with this oil. So he says, I've been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So we've pulled these four key characteristics. They're not the only, but they are so significant that when a society, when a community of people demonstrate this, it becomes impactful in the community. When in North America or in the West, in England and some of the other European countries, when there were plagues, it was the church that established places for the sick to come to and be cared for. It was a word that was based on the concept of hospitality. 
and it became known as hospitals. Did you know that the hospitals were never around prior to the church establishing a place of healing? So they took that seriously. Nurses, they weren't even qualified as nurses. There was no nursing schools. It was just some people that had love and they wanted to care for other uh, people. So they started to do these things and some people that were, you know, barbers that would pull teeth. That's how dentists came about because they couldn't stand that people were having pain. So people that were motivated by the gospel were beginning to do acts. They were beginning to function and do things that caused people to take notice that there's a group of people that care and they have a different characteristic than the rest of the society that just doesn't care and wants to protect. You may have noticed it during COVID. COVID was really messed up. It was a plague. And a lot of the church didn't know how to react to COVID. A lot of us were just following along like sheep, trying to protect ourselves. Nobody stepped into the place. I mean, very few other than those that were tasked with the, their, because of their profession, were gearing up and going to their workplace and Dipti, one of them in the hospital, many others that are in the medical profession, they stepped into the place, but that's the job of the church. It's the job of the church to step into the place of risk, to care for and to bring healing to the sick. The church has given that up now to the medical profession. But isn't it ours to do? Isn't it ours to step into the place of risk and touch the leper so that the leper would be healed and not us being infected with leprosy? Isn't it the job of the church to begin to do things that are different than society expects? then you know, become these crazy people that do the, the risky things. Bring reconciliation. It's so easy today to allow relationships to just go berserk between people, between families, between churches, between all kinds of nations. We just heard about a balloon that was shot down over the Atlantic. You know what I'm talking about? The hot air balloon that is claimed to be from China, to be a meteorological balloon. But who knows, but the U.S. government decided to shoot it down. And who knows what the repercussions of that would be. But we are the church. We are supposed to step into a place of reconciliation. How does that happen between giants like China and the U.S.? With military might and force, economic might. Where is the church? Are we supposed to be silent? Are we supposed to be engaged in these areas? What about forgiving? I know I preached a sermon on forgiving a couple of weeks ago. You're probably tired of it. No? You want more on forgiving? Yeah? Do you guys like to forgive? Sure? All right. I'm going to give you all reasons to forgive me. I do, I'm sure I give you reasons to forgive me all the time. But do you forgive me? Anyway, what about peacemaking? You forgive me a lot, I know. <laughs> but you don't compare to how much my wife forgives me. She, she has a PhD in forgiving Haney. What about peacemaking? But the issue of forgiveness is so critical because society doesn't function that way. I was in one of the small groups, actually it came up in both small groups, the issue of forgiveness. So guess what? I'm sorry to tell you, or maybe I'm not, 
I'm happy to tell you that we're going to go back to talking about forgiveness for a little bit longer. And one of the key things that we understand from forgiveness comes from the very words of Jesus. When in Matthew chapter 6, he teaches the disciples how to pray. And we all know this prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the glory, and the power. Amen. Now that you know this prayer, if you forgive others, what he says here, other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins either. Man, that stinks. I thought I got a free pass to heaven. I got a free pass to, heaven, to, to the relationship with the Father. He has forgiven me. What does it have to include a clause that says something about me needing to forgive others? I was happy. Me and God, Daddy, me. I'm happy, happy. Everything is cool. But there's something here that Jesus wants to underline. Now, it's interesting that this prayer is modeled after a prayer called the Kadesh that the Jewish people to this day pray. It is also mixed in with something very interesting, the concept of substitution and forgiveness. The Kadesh is a prayer that the people of Israel to this day pray asking God, hallowing His name first of all. You are the God of all creation. You rule over all the nations. You are a good God. Your kingdom is super your kingdom is everlasting. Your kingdom is amazing. We honor you. We worship you. But he added something else to it. He starts it off with the words, Our Father. That wasn't in the Kadesh. That's daring. That makes this prayer that he's teaching the disciples not a national prayer, not a prayer that is for one nation to pray because of covenant relationship with God, but it's now a personal relational prayer between a child and his father or her father. But he goes on and he highlights and underlines this issue of forgiveness. So, you know me, I love visuals, I love graphics. Here's our friendly prayer guy. Oops, I need to pause it for a second and do something a little bit different. Forgive me for a second. Here you go. You ready to forgive? Okay, here we are we back on. Are you watching all this or is it hidden behind me? It's hidden. Okay. So we have our prayer guy here. Let's call him, I don't know, who wants to volunteer to be this prayer guy? Joshua, you, you up for it? Okay, Joshua is coming to God to pray. And he comes to him and he says, Father, Daddy. And then he realizes that Joshua has some sin. Joshua realizes, I'm coming to God to pray, but Jesus taught me to ask forgiveness. 
What am I asking forgiveness for? Well, there was that one time, there was this other time. Okay, I'm going to come to ask God for forgiveness. So there's a confession that's going on. Joshua is getting real with God and he's beginning to do some serious business with God. So it starts off with a confession. Daddy, uh, I don't know how to say this, but you know everything. You saw when I did this. Okay, no problem, Joshua. And Joshua is speaking to God this confession. He's actually speaking it out. Not just quietly, but he's maybe crying it out because he's so frustrated with the situation that he finds himself in. He can't get rid of this. And he's real with God because he's now real. It's not Joshua trying to impress anybody. It's Joshua being bare before God. And he's being honest. So not only does he confess, but he promises God repentance. I'm going to change. Okay, help me change, God. I don't know what to do. And God's reaction, what do you think God's reaction is going to be? God responds by saying, Joshua, my child, I forgive you. Now, if you've been raised in the Catholic Church, this dynamic goes on in the confessional. Because God gave the authority to the disciples and to the church to forgive the sins of people. So in the confessional, you come in and you speak to the priest, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. That's beautiful. It's setting up this dynamic where this transaction can now take place. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Or bless me, Father, for I have sinned. There's a confession. What did you now? Or never, they never say it that way. I'm probably, if I was a confessional priest, I would probably turn to you because, my child, what has happened? Or something to that effect. Okay, so you begin to unravel it and you tell the priest the story. And the priest forgives you on behalf of God. And how do you feel at that moment? Two things. When you're confessing it, we, ha we know, psychologists tell us, that when you release what's inside, there's a something that lifts off. You get a certain level of... Right? When you confess your sin to someone, when you tell something that you have not been happy about to somebody else, it feels bad. You know, the other day we were driving and I was trying to back up into a spot that, was, that I had passed. And without realizing it, my, my car has sensors and cameras and beeps and all these bells and whistles. Nothing beeped. I didn't see it on the camera. But the next thing I hear is crunch. Yeah, there was a railing, a little thin railing that was at the edge of the sidewalk where I was backing up and it broke the light, it damaged the side of the bumper and I felt terrible. And it was bottled, Silva was with me so she knew what happened, she saw it. But I felt terrible until I actually shared it with Aaron and then with Mark and the more I shared it, the lighter I felt. It was really stupid. I should have noticed it. I, should, you know, I was looking at the rear view. I was looking at the cameras. I didn't turn behind me and look. That was the only thing I didn't do. I sh it was preventable. It was not a sin, but it was still weighing on me. How much more is sin? When we keep it bottled inside, when we've wronged someone or wronged God, we keep it bottled inside, but as soon as we speak it, confess it, there's a little bit of relief. 
It still hasn't solved my problem. I still have to go to the body shop and figure out what the cost is. I'm not going to take it to insurance. So, but you know what I mean? It's still, ugh. So, when God expresses His forgiveness to us, there's a key now that has to change. Remember the key characteristics? The keys that Jesus gave Paul, uh, Peter for the kingdom? They're not the key characteristics, but they're sort of matched. They're sort of working hand in hand. So the key now that I have to turn to activate this is something called faith. I have to believe that God not only heard my confession, accepts my repentance, but out of His love and His grace extends forgiveness. So now my receiving of it has to match my faith to His grace for it to be real in my life. If I don't exercise faith, His forgiveness is just going to hang there in heaven. Jesus died on the cross for who? All people. The forgiveness of God is sitting there in heaven. Until it's activated by the faith of the individual that will receive it, nothing happens to that individual. It's still hanging there in heaven. It's not appropriated. It's not been cashed in on. It hasn't been made mine. So, the forgiveness is there. He's ready to forgive. He has already been paid out for the sin. The sin has been paid for on the cross, what we just celebrated with the communion. The price has been paid. Nobody can pay it again. We're not going to go back to Jesus and say, Jesus, go to the cross again and die for me. Or oh, I've made another sin. I've committed another sin. You need to go to the cross again, Jesus. No, it's done. It's done once for all, for all humanity. The price has been paid. There's nothing more to pay. There's nothing you or I can do to pay. There are some religions that will abuse themselves. Some Christians, sects, some Jewish sects, some Muslim sects, that will actually abuse themselves physically to align with the atonement of Christ. They will take whips and whip their back and they will hurt themselves or cut themselves so that they shed blood with Jesus so that their sacrifice has met with Jesus' sacrifice. That's not what the scripture teaches. At least not in my understanding. The price has been paid. The forgiveness has been issued. The faith is what's needed to activate this and make the reality take place. So if you have not confessed your sin to the Father, if you believe in your mind that Jesus forgives, that's great. If you believe in your mind that grace is available for you and you can't do it, that's great. But Jesus now wants to help us seal the deal. What He says in Matthew 6 in the prayer, forgive us as we forgive the sins of others, helps us now realize if this transaction has happened. Huh? Yeah. He says now, if Johnny comes along to Joshua and Johnny sins against Joshua, 
if this has happened and Joshua really believes that the repentance is already stepping into, now listen carefully, the sacrifice has already been paid. His confession, his repentance is not making the sacrifice and the forgiveness active. It's only making it his. You with me so far? Forgiveness is already granted. It's there. So, the opportunity now is, he's wronged. If this is real in his life, because what happens when he does this? He becomes in the image of Jesus. As soon as you step, as soon as Joshua, thank you Joshua, as soon as Joshua steps into faith and says, I will receive the forgiveness and the grace, he's now empowered, filled, dwelt by the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Jesus, who is alive in him, and day by day is now discipling him, teaching him, conforming him to look more and more like Christ day by day. So that the characteristics of the kingdom are not only in the one person, Jesus, but is now in the millions that are now his followers. And the world can be changed by his followers. So repentance, forgiveness, all of that is there. So now the proof for Joshua that something has changed is his ability to step in, to act like Jesus, to act like God, and to extend forgiveness. And Jesus said it this way, if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. Why? Because he's an angry God and is waiting for you to do something? His forgiveness is not dependent on anything other than our repentance and receiving it. The price has already been paid. It's not forgiveness plus forgiving. It's not repentance plus forgiving. It's not repentance plus tithing. It's not repentance plus doing good works. It's just faith that transforms you. The rest of it comes. The rest of it comes. The forgiveness comes. The fruit of it comes. So if it's genuine, it's going to have the fruit. So if we can't forgive, if we can't forgive, that means there's something at work here that is still broken, that hasn't understood the faith hasn't understood the goodness of this grace. So we need to go back to God. Now, he says it in different ways in different places. In Mark chapter 6, the concept of forgiveness is highlighted yet again in a different way. He says, have faith in God. Truly tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, a mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what they will say will happen, it will be done for them. You know, we as Christians believe in the power of the spoken word. We believe that God created heaven and earth with the power of his spoken word. So he gives us now this ability to step into faith. Remember faith, grace, that interaction, that transaction that took place because of my repentance and God's forgiveness. 
coupled now faith enacts grace, activates grace. If you say this mountain, move and fall into the sea, go throw yourself in the sea, and you don't doubt in your heart, in other words, you have faith, but believe what you have said will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe and you will receive it. And it will be yours. But he doesn't stop there. He adds this other thing that doesn't seem to quite fit. But he says, when you're praying about this mountain to be moved, and you remember, and you stand there praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sin. You, your sin. What does that have to do with mountains? I believe that God has given me the ability to speak to this mountain and tell it to go jump in the lake. And it will. I don't have any doubt in me. But he says, but if you stand there and pray and you don't forgive the person you have something against. Now, okay, how many of us have actually the opportunity to tell mountains to move? Well, we sing it. Right? We sing it. Mountain be moved. We've sung it many times. I know there was a story of Simon the Tanner in Egypt. And he was just a simple man, a believer. And the head of the mosque came to the head of the church in Cairo and tells him, your Bible says, tell this mountain to move and it will move. Prove it. So the, the priest prays. And the Lord tells them that there is one man whose faith is pure, who can do this, and his name is Simon, and he's the tanner that tans the leather down the street. So they go and talk to Simon. And Simon is very humble. He doesn't want the notoriety. He doesn't want publicity. He says, yeah, but I'll do it behind stage. I don't want to be public. And they said, well, God told us that you're the one, so you're going to have to do it. And he does. So they come to the morning, and there's a mountain on the west side of the Nile. And Simon prays. And history records that the mountain lifted, moved across the Nile to the east side of the Nile and settled there on the east side. And it's called the mountain called Mukattam. And if you go there, you will see something amazing. Most mountains don't have a ridge. They just land smoothly to the earth that's above, underneath them. This one looks like a slice of cake that's been lifted and moved and brought over. And there's an entire ridge all around the mountain that looks that clearly that it didn't belong there. And there's the cave church where they gather and they do all the services and everything else that's right underneath it. He had the faith to move the mountain. But what are your mountains? Can I challenge us with this idea that the mountain here is the mountain of forgiving the other. That this mountain that we deal with, you know, a mountain blocks your view when you're standing there. You can't see anything past the mountain. If this person has wronged Joshua and Joshua has not forgiven Johnny, Johnny becomes such a huge mountain
we have to speak to the mountain. Jesus in John 17 in Luke 17 says, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause any one of these little children to stumble. So watch yourself. If like wow, this is mind-blowing. This is like a warning against end time apostasy. It's a warning against the situation of the church. It's a, it's a warning against false prophets. And then he says, watch yourself. And then he continues, if your brother sins against you, dude, it's like he knows. He knows what our issue is. He knows what our biggest challenge is in relationship. He knows that we have issue with forgiving others. And he keeps underlining it. And he says here, if, every, if a brother sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back and say, I repent, you must forgive them. By the way, Matthew, quoting the same story, doesn't say seven. He says 70 times seven. And both of these are related to something in the book of Genesis. When Cain killed Abel, God said that he would avenge anyone that would kill Cain seven times. And when his grandson, Lamech, killed someone, Lamech said, may the Lord avenge my murderer 70 times. So Jesus is tying it all back to the issue of forgiving and, and taking vengeance and eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Remember we talked about this retributive justice versus uh, restorative justice and everything that God is doing in the midst of all of this. He says, if I repent, ask him. So the apostles really understand the heart of what Jesus is saying. And at this point they say, Lord, increase our faith. Forgiving others requires faith? Yeah, because it's faith that couples your confession to God's forgiveness and the faith enacts grace so that that grace now is working in you and you have the character of Christ and like Christ, you can forgive the others. Remember that picture with the... He replied, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. Wait, there was a mountain that we just told to jump in the sea. Now he's talking about a tree. The mountain is big and it blocks your view and it causes all kinds of... Uh, it's an obstruction to the landscape. But the tree has roots. And some of those roots are so deep in your life and in my life that pulling that mulberry tree out doesn't happen one time. Have you ever tried to pull a tree out of its roots? If it's a small little sapling, it's very easy. You just grab it and pull it. I know Avidis plants uh, tomatoes and he prepares them in the, in the fall or in the winter so that by springtime he has little saplings that he can just plant. And they're very easy to pluck out because they're just a little root system. But a tree has huge root structures underneath. And you may pull it out and there's still some roots. And you need to go back another time and pull it out again. Maybe you have to do this seven times or maybe 70 times seven. Or seven times seven, whatever the number is. You have to go over and over and over and forgive that same person over and over and over. And you have to hear Haney speak about it again over and over and over. Because the issue is real. If we are being transformed by the power of the gospel, then we become a people that are forgiving because we have been forgiven. 
We function that way. We've de demonstrated that way. The world sees it among us and recognizes that these guys are nuts. And guess what? They'll take advantage of it. And you'll get walked over. Because they know you'll forgive them. But that's who we are. That's the characteristic of the kingdom that has been birthed in us. We forgive because we've been forgiven. Paul puts it this way in Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. You'd think that this is an important issue. It's not once. It's multiple times. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive. How? As the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. When we come here, when we come online and we join the service at 1130, the worship isn't just nice music to get us in the mood. It's actually teaching us principles, theologically embedding things into our minds and our hearts that we align with. This isn't just a feel-good thing. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So going back to Joshua. Joshua confesses to God, God, I've sinned in this area. Or, forget Joshua, put your name. God, I've sinned in this area. We're saved by grace. All of us who have accepted Christ are saved by grace. But there are still areas in our lives, if we're honest, that we don't have victory over. My whole hand may be saved, but this one little pinky still goes to market and does whatever this pinky does when he goes to market. And it's like that in each one of our lives. And sometimes we fight hard to overcome this pinky's addiction to sin. Or our mental addiction to being right. Or our addiction to bitterness. I know the, in the Armenian community, because of the genocide of 1915 that has been on for so long, it's difficult to forgive. Uh, at the 100th anniversary, they had t-shirts that were saying, our wounds are still open. That broke my heart. In the Jewish community, they still chant, we will not forget, we will not forgive. November, we were the lapel poppies that's really telling us lest we forget or forget that's wonderful lest we forget the sacrifice that has been paid for our freedom 
That's a different not forgetting. But how often have we kept that tree planted firmly? How long, how long have we kept that mountain sitting there, blocking our view of God and His goodness? How long? We come to God in repentance. He responds in forgiveness. We activate that in faith and we receive grace. And we become a people that extend forgiveness and grace. Let us pray. Father, the mysteries of your economy and your kingdom are so great. We just ask you now, Lord, to activate our faith. We stir up our faith ourselves and come to you and say, Lord, we need more. Just like the disciples when they said, increase our faith. We come and ask you, Lord. We want mountains moved. We want trees pulled out. We want roots cleaned out. We want our lives to reflect you. So we come to you and we say, Lord, have mercy on us sinners. And we believe that you respond in grace because of Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.